Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Fine Asia, co-host of the Main Channel podcast and the host of the Source Fine Asia YouTube channel, of course, back with another podcast. In this episode, I got to interview Debbie Archangelis. Uh, she is originally born in the Philippines, moved to New York when she was super young, and eventually started a podcast called The Offbeat Life, which led to her getting sponsorships and, and starting a location independent business. She also now helps people learn how to start their own podcasts, and she, you know, consults on that and has a masterclass. Um, it's the website called HowToStartAPodcast.com. Really enjoyed the episode. I uh, had a great conversation with Debbie, uh, talking about just transitioning what was a sort of lifestyle, her travel, um, her interest in digital nomads, and the location-independent lifestyle. Now she converted a passion of hers into a successful business and then also how she transitioned into hiring and getting a little bit more of a work-life balance within her company and just a lot of similarities in our story she's obviously comes from an immigrant family same thing with me and just see the mindset stuff that we talked about that was very very similar and, and the trajectory that you go on when you're starting a business and the sacrifices that you have to make and then specifically with the podcasting, obviously, this is a po- you're literally listening to a podcast about how somebody else started a podcast on, and and is making money from their you know their podcast. It's it's kind of a very meta situation, right? It's a podcast about a business that is a podcast, and now she's teaching people how to make their own podcast. So, yeah, I think it was a fascinating episode, and uh, I'm definitely going to be subscribing to her podcast again. That's the Offbeat Life. She has interviewed, as she mentioned, like over 170 people. Um, I might be featured on her podcast eventually, fingers crossed. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. When you meet somebody that's not familiar with digital nomads in a social setting, how do you answer the question, what do you do? Well, a lot of people are really curious about that. I tell them digital nomads are people who could pretty much just work from anywhere and they choose to travel while they work. So that's really, <laughs> it's a very simple answer to it, but I guess it's to the point as well. So do you actually say I'm a digital nomad or you you have like a different phrasing for it? So what? I technically am not a digital nomad. I'm location independent because I don't really travel as I work. Mm-hmm. I usually have a base and then travel here and there. Uh, so I call myself location independent. Okay. So you, you basically say like I'm a, I'm a location independent entrepreneur? Yes. Awesome. So let's start from the beginning. Tell me about, uh, you were born in the Philippines, right? And uh, yeah. that's, that's where I am. And then you moved to New York when you're eight. Yeah. So I was born in the Philippines and like many immigrants, my mom went to the United States to have a better life. And then when I was around eight or nine years old, we were lucky enough that she was able to petition us to come to the United States. So I got here when I was around eight or nine. And then grew up in New York City and went to school here, go back to the Philippines here and there. So uh, I'm pretty lucky that my family is very close-knit. I'm able to retain the language. So, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm going to start learning Tagalog soon. Um, (laughs) That's It's interesting. That's kind of a similar story to to my situation. Like I was born in, in Zambia, Southern Africa, and then we moved to the States when I was 10. And then afterwards to to Canada. So I always find it interesting when I talk to entrepreneurs. And it seems like a lot of the people I'm talking to right now are have a lot of similar stories where they traveled a lot when they were younger or, or at least they moved countries or something when they're younger. And that kind of influenced later in life in terms of becoming a location and independent entrepreneur. In terms of you moving to the States from the Philippines, how much do you think that's impacted your thought process in, in, in running your business today? 
I grew up with a family that was very hardworking. So it just was not even in my mind to be like, okay, I could be lazy. I, you know, my fiance is always like, you're always doing something. You're always working. And for me, I feel like I'm not doing enough if I'm not working on something. So I've, I've seen that throughout my whole life, the men and women in my life. So it was just always ingrained in me to do the best, right? You know, you're an immigrant. I'm pretty sure you've seen uh, your family do this. It's just not in your mentality to just lay down and not do anything. So that definitely has impacted my work ethic. Whether I am a nine to fiver or an entrepreneur, it's just how I was brought up. So, you know, it's, it's just, you know, a huge, a huge impact in, in my work ethic for sure. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, my mom and dad have both instilled that in me. It's just like, yeah, when you see that growing up, it just becomes a natural thing and you, you feel guilty if you're, not, if you're not doing something. So I, I totally relate to that. Tell me about, so you, you grew up in New York and everything. Uh, how did you transition? Like, what, what did you study? And then how did you transition into entrepreneurship? So as an immigrant, like I said, what, especially uh, as a Filipino, most of the time Filipinos are like nurses or caregivers. So (laughs) I was expected to do something similar. And I just wasn't that type of person. I was always a black sheep in my family. Very, Um, very caring uh, country (laughs) and very nice people. There's a reason why, you know, like very patient, you know. Yeah, exactly. Most of my cousins like 70% of them are nurses or in the health field. So when I decided I didn't want to do that, I actually went to school for the arts. And then in order to kind of appease my parents, I, I went into art education and I was a teacher for a few years. I taught um, in the South of Bronx. I taught in Manhattan. And then after that, I got my master's degree in early childhood education and special education, I became a therapist for children with autism. So I was in the trajectory that they were like, okay, well, at least you're a therapist. You're good. You know, it's the American dream. And I was at that time, I was making really decent money. I wasn't working too many hours. I made my own hours and it was pretty much, yeah, like the American dream, but being somebody who's really creative, And I traveled quite often in my 20s, and I was a photojournalist as well. I wanted to get back to that. And at that time, when I was in that quote-unquote American dream job, I was just so unhappy. I would have panic attacks every four months, like clockwork. So I Mm. knew I needed to do something different, and that's when I dove into entrepreneurship while I was still working in my nine-to-five and made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> failed a lot, but I'm really thankful that I did all of that because it brought me to where I am right now with my business. You touched on the, the panic attacks. Like, what do you think was causing that? Because it sounds like you had, like, you're making decent money and you weren't working like crazy hours. So what, what, um, what do you think was the, the cause of it? Yeah, it was, it was really insane. It was so crazy. I would just, I don't know, like, every four months, it was like clockwork, like I said. And I always thought about that, you know, I was like, I made really good money. My coworkers were amazing. My job was great. Like, it wasn't even like, oh, I have horrible bosses, like my company is horrible. No, they were like, incredible people to work with. But it was because I knew it wasn't something that I wanted in my life. And I felt like I was doing it because of what other people expected me to do. And that was really where the panic started coming in. And it was also because I was like in my mid to late 20s. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? This is not where I saw myself as. And that's where it all started. Having like a a midlife crisis at at 25. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it was like in in my late 20s, I think I was almost 30 years old at that time. And I'm like, what am I doing with myself? This is not where I should be. Like it all just started from there <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean you're lucky because uh, i mean obviously it was unfortunate that you're having uh, panic attacks but you're lucky because you're asking yourself those questions right like a lot of people they don't ask themselves those questions they kind of follow the trajectory that they're supposed to um, and that's been sort of dictated or conditioned to them through society or the family and it takes a strong person to really like say okay 
am I doing this because I want to do this or am I doing this because other people are telling me to do this? And if the answer is the latter, then like, what do I actually want to do? So in that sense, you're lucky because a lot of people only figure that out like later on in life. Well, I, one of the things that I actually thought of while I was having this um, existential crisis is my family went through so much. I mean, we immigrated here. My family literally came from nothing. Like they Mm. had nothing and they were like the poorest of the poor. And for them to do all this work for me to be unhappy, I knew that this is, you know, they may want me to be successful, but not if I'm going to be really miserable. So I knew that there was going to be some, some maybe pushback, but I knew at the end that they just wanted me to be happy overall as a, as a person, as their daughter. So that's another thing that really got me to step forward and be like, this is not where I know they want me to be. I understand like everything else fell into place, but I'm so unhappy with, with this. So I didn't want to waste all of the hard work that they had done just for me to be like, super super unhappy with my life as well yeah that makes sense so in 2017 you start the podcast the offbeat life right yeah so then in 20 so in 2017 i finally (laughs) after a while of having these panic attacks like several years um yeah it was it was bad because i knew i was like i it was pretty horrendous. And finally my fiance, you know, my family, uh, my fiance was like, you need to, you need to stop. Like you need to do something. Mm -hmm. So after pretty much one of my last few panic attacks, I think it was right after my birthday. (laughs) And that's usually when I start having a really big panic attack. I, or I used to, I don't have it anymore. I was finally like, well, I need to start changing. I will not start. I need to change something in my life. And at that time, I was still traveling a lot because like I said, with my, my day job, like I was a lot, like I was allowed to just take off whenever I wanted. I know it's crazy. I'm like, oh, this is such a horrible job and pretty much have freedom for a lot yeah, of there's, things. There's going to be some <laughs> listeners being like, hey, man, yeah. I work, I work in, a, in a factory or I do construction exactly. and she's complaining. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. I know I felt really guilty. And I think that's why I stayed there for so long, because I felt guilty for feeling horrible, right? You're like, why am I complaining? Um, So at that time, I was just like, this is enough. I need to do something with my life. And that's that's another that's another uh, point, like an important point to touch on is like, Mm -hmm. to choose to be happy is a little bit of a selfish thing. Yeah. Right. So if you if you consider yourself like a selfless person and you're empathetic and you know you appreciate all the stuff that your family's done for you, and you also understand how other people have more difficult situations, more difficult jobs, I understand the guilt from that that aspect. But at the same time, it's like yeah, you have to choose yourself because it is your life, right? Like at the end of the day, so you have to do what makes you happy. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a huge like it's a huge guilt trip, and this is a whole other like conversation because. Like you said, we've seen what it's like. You know, I grew up seeing people super poor. My family was really poor. And for me to feel like, oh, this is such a horrible life I'm living right now, even though like it wasn't, it was amazing, right? But I knew there had to be something that I needed to change. So I ended up at that time, I was growing a following on social media and people were like, you need to start a blog or something because um, you need to take this somewhere else. But I knew that that wasn't something I wanted to do. And I remember- So this is because because of your travel and the photography that you're doing and stuff like that? Yes, yes. So, but I knew I didn't want to start a blog just with traveling. I, there was a ton of people that were doing that, that were really amazing at it. And it just wasn't an interest of mine. And I remembered everyone that I met on the road that were digital nomads or remote workers or um, location independent that I kept talking to. And I was just like, I'm really interested in how you make this sustainable because this is what my dream life would be. So after I thought about that, I'm like, how can I do that? And then my fiance was an avid podcast listener. He's like, you should start a podcast. Like you love talking to people. You used to do it when you were a photojournalist. Like you just would really enjoy this. So uh, 
I started listening to podcasts. I, I wasn't a listener at that time. And then it kind of clicked. And then it took several more months because I was so afraid to start. <laughs> and about six months later, I started it. And then six months after that, I got my first sponsorships. I had two brands come to me offering me money. I didn't even know I could make money from it. And then within eight months, I was making uh, five figures every single month. And a year and a half later, I was able to quit my full-time job to do this uh, full-time. So it's, it's crazy what happens when you actually just do something, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it leads you to some pretty crazy things and that led you also to the other business that you you have is how to create a podcast right you actually help people launch their podcast or teach them how to do it yeah so that actually launched earlier this year because i was getting so many people asking me how they could start their own podcast and i was answering the same questions over and over again so i was just like well this is a good way to start another site and create income from it and we launched earlier this year and have been doing pretty well with that so far. <laughs> awesome. We'll definitely link that up in the show notes. So going back to when you first started the, you know, the offbeat life, was there a strategy? Like what was the ethos of the podcast? Was it just to interview digi uh, digital nomads or location independent people? Or is it more, was it more broad? Was it more specific? So the, the beginning of it and even now is just to learn from the people who are doing it successfully and how they're able to do it sustainably because I didn't want to just interview people who love to travel. Um, I wanted to interview people who were making this lifestyle sustainable because at that time, I wanted to learn how to do it as well. So I thought if I am really curious about this, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people are as well. So I would just ask them questions like, how did you get your start? How did you get your first client? How do you make your money from this? How much money did you have to save? So things that are really practical, but I also wanted to make sure that people also understood the good and the bad and not just like the perfect Instagram picture that you see of people on the road and it's all great and stuff. So I just really wanted to know everything about it. And that's how the podcast started. And yeah, and that's even now that's really where it is. And I help people now find remote jobs so they could do this uh, lifestyle as well and make it sustainable. That's awesome. It's another interesting point that you made there is like, you leveraged the podcast to kind of teach yourself how to do what you wanted to do, which is what you're doing now. Even with me, when I started this podcast, like part of it is because I'm passionate about podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts since like 2012, 2013. I listen to podcasts more than I watch TV, that kind of stuff, <laughs> or listen, listen to music. So for me, it was like, oh yeah, I have a business and I want to talk about what I'm doing in my business. At the same time, it allows me to pick the brains of people that were way more successful or way more experienced than me in my industry. And I basically was able to, you know, get free mentorship from interviewing people because of course a lot of people could be successful, but they're not famous. So, you know, there's a little bit of an ego boost when somebody contacts you and says, Hey, you know, I think you're, you're pretty awesome at what you do. Can I interview you about your business and life? So uh, that's, that's an interesting point that you brought up is like leveraging the podcast to kind of talk to people that you wanted to learn from. Yeah. And I love doing that. I always tell people it's a way for you to get pretty much like a really expensive business coach without having to pay for it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I've had, like I had, I've done podcasts where it's like half of the questions were, you know, my, the general questions that I knew my audience wanted to, to hear. And then the other half was just me personally asking about yeah. issues that I was facing in my business, you know? So that's awesome. So what were some of the early struggles you had with the launching of the podcast, the, the beginning to gain revenue and scaling it from there? And how did you overcome them? Yeah. So like I said, in the beginning, I didn't really think this was going to be a business. Like I was hoping that I could leave my nine to five and get advice from people that I was interviewing, but I didn't expect it to be where it is now. But the, the biggest hurdles I think was just my mindset because I kept thinking like that until 
the sponsors really started to come up to me. And that's when I was like, okay, wow, I could actually make this into a business. And a lot of that was because I started businesses before they failed. And I was like, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. But then I realized that all of those things that were failures or what I considered failures were just ways for me to learn to make things better or pivot and then make changes with the this business that I have now. So because of everything that I had learned with the three other business that I had, it was a lot more smoother this time because I had failed so much and made so many errors. So a lot of the things that were really I was encountering, especially with those other businesses that I had tweaked with this one is really understanding what it is to market. Also, because as a creative, we're often in our head like, okay, well, I don't want to sell out. You know, it's all about the the creation of it. You know, the other stuff has to take a back seat. And I realized I shouldn't be doing that. Like everything is as important. You know, it's great that if you have that you have something really wonderful, you created something great. But if you're not understanding how to market it or make money from it, then it just becomes a hobby, right? It's not a business. So that's really one of the biggest things that I've learned, especially if you're a creative and you're listening to this, you're not selling out when you make money or you're learning all of these different systems for your business. You're actually making it sustainable. And the more money you make with it, the more it actually, you know, it allows you to realize that people do want whatever it is that you're giving, whether it's service-based or it's a product, it's what they want. So that's a good thing. So yeah, it was a lot of mentality that I, you know, all of these things that I just had to change that I had to implement with this business that I had. The mentality stuff, like, was there a moment where you kind of realized I need to change or this is real, this is becoming a business or was it more of a gradual process? I think right when those brands started coming up to me was when I made that mental switch. Now, the reason why it was so fast is because I had already experienced all of these little hurdles or big hurdles in my past businesses, and I knew exactly what was happening at that time. It doesn't come, it it wasn't a fast, it seems like it's a fast change, right? Six months, eight months, a year and a half. But remember, I had three businesses. So it's probably like five or six years in the making before I got to this point where I knew when to mentally switch. And then I started creating systems. And then after maybe, I think it was a year later, I started hiring people. And then I just started doing- I was about to ask you about the, the hiring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And then because also at that time, I was still at my nine to five. So it was pretty crazy how many hours I was working too. like I was working (laughs) seven to eight hours with my day job and then another like eight to 10 hours with this business. I'm not kidding. Like I was probably that that Gary Vee quote where it's like, if you have a nine to five and you want to start a business, you have to start working your six to one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, no, that's really what I was doing. And I was constantly exhausted. It was taking a huge toll on my physical health, my personal relationships. So and that's, a, I think, also with this one, that was one of the biggest hurdles or the biggest hurdles for me, because the other hurdles I already encountered in my other businesses. So I knew what to do with it. But because this business was growing, like, fast and I didn't really know how to handle it because there was just so much responsibility that I had to take on and I had no one. So it was just a lot of that stuff. It was so much time that I had to put out with it that it it was, yeah, it was crazy. And that's when I started, finally started hiring somebody, but I didn't want to hire someone until I was actually making money from the business. So I have quite a few questions from, from that one of the things I was, I was wondering about is like you mentioned the you know that you used to have the job and then you, you do this as well I also went through that that phase probably for about six months when I started my business what sort of sacrifices did you have to make in terms of your friendships and you know social life oh I had no like I had no social life <laughs> 
I yeah. pretty much had no social life. And like some of my best friends would probably see me, I don't know, once every few months. My fiance and I actually broke up uh, for like a year because it was taking a huge toll on our relationship. Mind you, uh, when we broke up, we were already together for like 15, 16 years. So we, and we've never broken up. Yeah. We've never broken up before. And because of everything that was happening in the business, now he was completely supportive of it, but I was so, you know, remember when I told you in the beginning how it was pretty much ingrained in me to just really work my butt off, like no matter what. And that's how I saw my parents do it. Like that's how I was with everything that I did. And that's probably why I stayed in a job that I didn't really want to be in because there was some sort of like, you know, I have this responsibility and I need to make it the best that I possibly can. And I had this tunnel vision that it was just the business, the business, the business. And I was forgetting everybody else. Like I wasn't giving any time at all to, to my fiance and I wasn't seeing anybody and it was just a business. Now at that time, which was ironic, when we broke up was when the business was like taking off. Like I just had this huge deal with Johnson and Johnson. I was being flown to places. Like I was in Like I was in this beautiful hotel, like, and I was just looking at my life. I'm like, okay, this is something I also need to change because I have everything that I thought I wanted. But when you don't have anyone to share it with, it kind of doesn't mean as much. So that's another <laughs> crisis that happened. That's when everything started to switch because that's also when I realized that I need to really understand what it's like to balance everything. And that's when I actually learned how to like, create a system so that I'm not overworked. I get to spend time with the people I love um, while still making this successful. So I'm assuming for that time period, like for the year plus you were recording, you were editing, you were handling the the marketing of the podcast, right? Oh yeah. Every single thing. Yep. Every single thing. So at at what stage were you like, okay, I can hire people. That's when you're, you're making five figures from the, the company or is it, was it a little bit earlier than that? Like what, uh, what prompted you to be like, okay, I, I can now, I feel comfortable to hire a, like an editor or somebody to help yeah. me with the marketing of this. So I was making, yeah, I think I was making close to five figures at that time. And it was during that time when everything, you know, the business was going well, but then personal life was going down the drain. And I was like, I need to do something, you know, I can't do all of this by myself, I need to have a balance with my personal life. So that's when I started, I mean, in my other businesses, I hired, I already knew what it's like to hire people. So that's when I really started to, I hired my, my assistant, my virtual assistant at that time. He's still with me. He's amazing. I hired him first. And then I think I hired an editor next. And then all of the other people came right after that. So yeah, right after I had that crisis, (laughs) that, (laughs) that second crisis, that's when I was like, there's something like, something has to change. I need to have balance in my life. Otherwise, yeah. I'm not going to make it. What would you say took you the most amount of time? During, just out of curiosity, was it? do you think it was the editing? Was it the, the marketing side of it? Like, what, what took the most amount of your time? The most amount of my time, uh, definitely the editing because I'm not good with technical stuff. That's why I'm so grateful for my editor. Um, but the most amount... Uh, I feel like it was something that I was doing that it wasn't really helping me, you know, it wasn't really making my business better. Like it was just taking out so much of my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could just hire somebody and they could do it way better than me. But the most out of my time that's actually giving me something back and that I really enjoy is the marketing. I've been really obsessed with that the last probably six to eight months, just really understanding what it's like to market well. And I really enjoy that part. I mean, it takes a long time to really learn how to do it well, how to do it, uh, you know, aligned with what your business is like, because obviously everyone's business is different and how you market it is different as well. But that for me is really fun. I love marketing. And I didn't think I was going to love that 
until this business because I never used to focus on it at all. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm listening to this and I'm like, I've been thinking about launching a podcast and I have a little bit of capital, so I, I, I'm also like, I don't want to edit this thing. So do you have any hiring best practices when it comes to finding editors, um, you know, virtual assistants and such? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that I usually do is it's great if they look good on paper, but always interview them, especially video chat. You know, obviously it's, you can't always do face to face, especially if you're location independent or if you're hiring some someone from the other side of the world, but always talk to them. I always want to see their face. I always want to connect to them. And the second thing is give them at least three tasks, three different tasks. So, you know, and a deadline. So, you know how it is, like how they work um, and if they can follow direction. So always give three different tasks. Maybe one of them is, you know, marketing. Another one is just like sending out an email or whatever it is that you, you want to do. And then see how they follow instructions and see if they can follow deadlines. And that usually tells me right away if that person is a good person to work with, especially how they communicate with you when they don't understand something. Now, I always prefer someone who asks a question if they don't understand something rather than somebody who will just assume something and then all hell breaks loose because things were not done the right way and there was like a deadline to it or something. So I, I like people who ask questions, especially in the beginning, because that means they're going to learn a lot faster in the long run. So yeah, so those are the things that I usually look for when I'm hiring somebody. Were you hiring people mostly like an Upwork or? No, I've never hired anybody from Upwork. So I've hired somebody it's funny because a lot of people don't like Craigslist, but I love Craigslist. I found my assistant right now that I've had since the beginning. He was actually my first hire from Craigslist. And then the other person that I hired to, one of them was recommended to me. Another person came to me, my editor right now, he's in Incredible. Like I love him so much. He actually came to me and then I gave him a trial and it just worked out. And mind you, I have been trying to find the perfect editor for like a year before he came along. And then another person that I have, I knew her already. So I knew what she was capable of. And then I just decided to hire her. So it's all different. Like you'll find really good people in different places. So just keep an eye open for, for anything. You touched on earlier, like you start to get sponsors how, I mean, they approached you, but like, what do you think was different about what you're doing and why do you think you start to get sponsors so quickly? Yeah. So one of the biggest reasons in the beginning that I was getting these sponsors because I was already getting featured in big publications. And again, that's part of your marketing, right? So if you know how to market yourself, people will see you in these big publications. So I got featured in Refinery29. If you don't know that publication, it's a pretty big one here in the United States within the first three months of starting my podcast. And then a few months later, they reached out to me from, I believe it was from that or it was recommended to them. So yeah, it's really, again, if you're not putting yourself out there, if you're not marketing yourself, no one is going to find you. That's why it all aligns with each other, right? You can have a really good podcast or a good photography or good website, whatever it is that you're doing. But if you're not putting yourself out there that no one can really see you, then, you know, might <laughs> it's just, again, it's just a hobby and it's going to be a lot trickier for you to, to create income. And you're always trying to look for them rather than them mm -hmm. see you as well. So it's good to do both, right? To look and also to be seen. So speaking of marketing, like I can imagine somebody, well, how do you market a, a podcast? Like that, that would be obviously, you know, social media and stuff like that. But do you have, is there much of a difference between marketing a podcast versus marketing you know, a product or, you know, a physical brand in, in another sense. Yeah. I mean, there's different ways you can do it. And again, it's different for everybody. So there's like, if you want to do paid versus organic, you could do Facebook ads, Google ads. There's obviously social media, but one of the things that I really love to do and I've gotten really good at it actually is just getting on other people's podcasts. Right. So for me, for, for a podcaster, you need to go where the listeners are. And if they're already a podcast listener, 
then if they hear you, if they hear your interview, then they're going to want to come to your show as well to hear more from you. Now, obviously, if you have a product, that's also a great way to do it because especially if you're choosing a podcast that has a similar niche to a product that would be perfect for that type of audience, uh, that could be a great way to to sell that product as well. There's again, there's Facebook ads. Those that's like one of the top ways to sell products, social media, again, collaboration with other people is always a great way to do that. So for you, mostly it was um, getting featured on other people's shows and, and, and collaborating with other podcasters. So right now, recently, I've been more focused on interviews on other podcasts and doing interview swaps, things like that. But throughout the entire time, it was really getting featured in big publications. So the podcast and I have been featured in Travel and Leisure, Forbes. I was on NBC, Refinery29, Uproxx. So all of those places. So how, so did, the thing, how did you get yeah. those? So the thing is uh, that is really interesting about those big publications is that when one of them publishes an article that's similar, they kind of just go along with each other. (laughs) So they'll include you in that list. And it's really interesting because um, they'll just keep including you in it. Like it's as you're one of the best, one of the best. So mm. yeah, just get included in one of the big ones. And I'm pretty sure you're going to get included in the other ones once they actually write about a similar topic. And I think it was also because I got in at the right time a few years ago. And right now, you know, like the podcast has been featured as, as one of the top travel podcasts out there. And it, it just keeps getting featured. It keeps getting featured. So um, we're pretty lucky in that sense that we keep getting included. But in the beginning, it was just that that first one that I did, I knew uh, one of the things that you also have to understand is you can't just sit there and wait for them to notice you. Right. Yeah. So what, what I would recommend for anyone who wants to get featured in a big publication is Take a look at that publication that you want to be in, see who the writers are, and just start creating a relationship with them through social media, maybe on Twitter, on Instagram, Instagram, send them a DM. Um, Nothing to do with you wanting them to write about you, though, but just start a relationship. Uh, And you never know what happens, because that's actually what I did with the first publication, the Refinery29 I didn't even ask to be featured. Uh, They actually wrote a whole article because they wanted to write about me and they included the other podcasters. So it's really interesting. You just have to create really like just a relationship with people and it can't be fake, right? So in the long run, it may take a little bit longer, but it's all going to pay off. And that's really what happened with me and my show when, when it got featured. In the in awesome. that first one, awesome. I think uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because I think a lot of times when you you hear a Forbes or Refinery Twenty Nine, you just kind of assume like that the writers are unreachable. But you know, yeah. everybody's on so, everybody's on social media, and it's like it doesn't hurt to to reach out to them and start to develop a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone is human, so just follow them and comment on their photos, really get to know them and make it a really a genuine relationship. And it's going to happen, you know, maybe not soon, but it will later. So that um, article that they wrote was five women hosted travel podcasts. You should subscribe to ASAP yes. or find your mm-hmm. I will link that up on the show notes. So speaking of women entrepreneurs and travel in your experience, like when you started your business, I'm sure you, because you had the, your location independent, you had to travel more. And just in general, are you seeing a growth in sort of a, a, like female entrepreneurs that are around the world and location independent? Because I've been in Asia for the past five to six years. I would say like in China, there's a huge contingent of women entrepreneurs. It's almost it's very normal in China. Like everybody has a business and nobody really cares about, you know, male or female situations yeah yeah but but i feel like with western location independent people like when i've traveled around i haven't seen as much as as the guys 
Yeah, it, you know what's really interesting to me? I mean, from my personal experience, I don't know how anyone else's experience, but I I was never, maybe because when I was little, I was raised by my dad. Like, I was never more aware of, like, gender differences than in the United States, which is kind of interesting because you would think that it's would be way different. Like, when I was way in more, the film, uh, Way more uh, advanced and... and yeah, and, it's yeah, so interesting to me because... Yeah, yeah it's, it's so interesting to me because I'm like, what are they complaining about? We have so much stuff here. And yes, like in Asian countries, it's not perfect. But I was raised to be whoever it is that I wanted to be. Like, it wasn't like, you know, like men are stopping you from doing this. You Like, that was never a question in my mind. Like, if anything, the females in my family are way stronger than the males in my family or as equally strong. Um, so I was never raised to be like, you know, it's really unfair for females to be this and that. And that maybe it's my the way I'm raised, maybe, I don't, I don't know, but I, it was just never in my mind, you know, and I'm an immigrant, like, you would think, like, okay, in other countries, like, obviously, and if you're in a, um, a certain type of country, that is really apparent, but I don't know, like, even here in the United States, I feel like there's a lot of female entrepreneurs, all of my best friends are female entrepreneurs, and they are kicking butt, you know, so, I was never in that mindset to be like, yeah, females are getting the low end of the deal. Uh, I, I think it's also because the the um, the niche that I'm in, it's mostly females. So I guess I've been lucky in that sense. But even growing up, I just was never told, even my dad, he was always like, you do your best and you do the best that you can. And you work your butt off and you'll get whatever it is that you want. Um, and that's how my cousins were raised. That's how the females in my family were raised. My grandfather raised my aunts like that. So yeah, maybe I'm in a little bubble, but that's just how I see, I've seen the world, you know? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think, you know, it could be, it could be partially like your family being uh, more, well, what's the word? Uh, what's what's the word for like when you are more socially advanced i forget the term but it could be it could be your family but i also think i also think in general like in in, in southeast asia i i don't like i when i've had conversations with people and i've asked girls like did you ever do you ever feel like you can't start a business or people expect you to just sit at home and and you know pop out babies and like no not really like i mean and yeah. it just it seems like it's more there's definitely there's definitely an aspect of like um you know the a lot of times like the, the male the men are the head of the household or whatever like i've, I've definitely seen more of that here than, than yeah. in the west but in terms of business and work like it seems like they're way more like yeah like i can start my own business and you know um yeah. there's a lot of women that are managers and executives and yeah. Absolutely. And it's also, um, yeah, there it's, you know, the men are the head of the household. We definitely have that in Southeast Asia, but there's no, there's nothing like, oh, you can't work. You just stay at home. You know, with yeah. my personal experience, my mom was the one working. She came to the United States and she mm. was the one working. And my dad actually left his job to stay at home with me. So it, it's a different, it's kind of like a switch. I think in a lot of ways, when somebody immigrates and one parent stays, it's most of the time, at least from my experience, it's usually the, the moms that leave. I don't know if they're just hireable more, but there's like a lot of men who stay at home with their children. So it's very yeah. interesting. That's why it's like, well, if my mom can work, and my dad could stay home. That's okay. Like men could be stay at home dads. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And it's so interesting to me that in the United States, it's such a big deal. You know, you're being emasculated if you do that. I'm like, if one person is working and the other one is staying at home to take care of the kids, it's an equal partnership. It doesn't matter if it's a male or female, like they're both doing their part. So it's really interesting to me that it's such a huge deal here. And in a lot of ways, Westerners think there's so much, like you said, that's so much more advanced than everyone else. But in a lot of ways, it's still so, you know, it's still so old fashioned. It's so yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
it's funny i i it's an interesting observation like because i was that was one of the first things i noticed when i got to china was just like the amount of women that were running their own businesses and i was like oh it's like here it's a it's not even nobody's even questioning it it's just yeah. it is what it is and that's where the u.s and canada and, and certain european countries are trying to get to um mm-hmm. and, and they wouldn't they wouldn't expect that so it's it's interesting to, to observe that tell me about like when you when you're you started making money from the business and you quit your nine to five did you tra- did you start traveling more again or like did you have a specific place in mind that was like i i want to go to this place as soon as i can sort of work remotely yeah so at that time uh i was still in new york and instead of really traveling for leisure i was getting paid to travel so i was traveling quite a lot actually for work so it wasn't like oh i'm just going to just take off somewhere and just start working on the road Uh, as a digital nomad no i was getting booked and get getting hired to do interviews to do like all of these things so that's really where all the the travel started going to it was mostly for work for like brands and companies and things like that so until covid like i think i came back 3 days from a business trip and then everything was like on lockdown in new york city and then 2 weeks before that i was in the caribbean so it was a lot of travel i think i was traveling at least one week out of the month or two weeks out of the month every month so it was it was pretty crazy which kind of has been a reprieve for me the last few months since the lockdown because i could actually focus more on the business instead of getting exhausted from traveling but yeah not a lot of uh leisure travel though i think the last leisure travel and the very first one that i took was last november but i was still kind of working a little bit but it was just because i can't stop working so <laughs> <laughs> is there a particular country or city that you think a lot of um Uh, location independent entrepreneurs or digital nomads gravitate towards i think a lot of people love southeast asia right you're there yeah, for sure yeah, no. <laughs> well, yeah it's it's yeah it's kind of like the mecca i think starts starts with yeah. bali and then yeah it's like you know, shang mai everybody's shang like mai, shang mai uh, shang mai <laughs> shang mai and, so, yeah. and uh, ho chi ho chi minh city as well yeah everybody yeah. loves it there it's cheap people are friendly you know you can live off of a lot less Um, yeah for sure. Uh I think also uh South America is really great and Eastern Europe. I mean I'm just talking about places that are cheaper um mm-hmm. where your money goes a long way but yeah Southeast Asia is definitely where most uh digital nomads go to because it's just really beautiful there and it's cheap and people just love it there. What is your proudest entrepreneurial moment to date? My proudest entrepreneurial. Okay, so I guess there's a few. The the first one was um that first feature in Refinery 29 cuz that was like a huge deal and it got me my first sponsors. The second is landing a huge brand like Johnson and Johnson. That's when I was like, okay, this is actually like where my life should be. So that was kind of like the moment, you know, even though it was like a good and bad time in my life. The third one was getting published. Uh the and the fourth one is really understanding marketing and selling digital products. So uh for a really long time most of my income came from sponsorships and then when I started creating income from digital products and made it more passive, I was like, okay, this is really where i'm supposed to do like where i'm supposed to be and where i want my business to go into so i guess it's just every time i learn another big lesson in my life that's where for me it really stands out awesome so i'm going to move into some of my closing questions what is one thing that you believe that when you tell other people they think it's ridiculous or crazy <laughs> um you can really make money doing what you love <laughs> especially when it's people that are in a job that they really hate um and we've all been there you know you see other people online you'll probably see my pictures and be like that's freaking impossible i can't do that 
maybe you're even envious and then you look at your life and then you're like, yeah, but I can't do that. Again, it's really the mentality of it. And a lot of times I often see people doing things a lot better and I'm like, you can totally do this. Why don't you do it? And they're like, well, I can't. And most of the time it's your mentality. So just believe in yourself, your ability. And again, it's your mentality and self-talk. And yeah, you can definitely create a living from what you love and have a life that you really want to have. Believe me, <laughs> I've, yeah. I've gone through it all, you know, and it works if you just stay consistent, persistent, and just do, do what it is that you want to do. Yeah, no, I, a lot of people uh, have a sort of negative mindsets or uh, sort of a defeatist mindset where they think it's impossible, but it's like, you know, you, you just have to try because everybody has to start somewhere. Everybody starts at zero. Yeah. What are your favorite three interviews that you've done? My favorite three interviews. Oh my goodness. So I've done a lot. So one of them was with uh, Jacob Fu. He's one of the founders of localadventure.com. It's a travel blog. They are one of the top travel blogs in the United States. And he pretty much became my mentor and his wife is like now my closest friend. Um, Jacob was actually the one that taught me how to make money from my podcast. <laughs> so he's definitely one of my top interview because he not just during the interview, but right after, like he really walked me through a lot of things that really helped me make this business more sustainable. The next interview that I really loved is, let's see, oh my God, I'm going through so many. Dr. Kiona, she's super popular on Instagram. Um, but she is so insightful about a lot of things and she just helps so many people. She, she's incredible. Another one is Johnny FD. He's incredible. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's like the guru of e-commerce. So he gives a ton, ton, ton of advice on how to start an e-commerce business. Like his story is incredible. Like he was from the U S and then he just moved to Southeast Asia and just started a business and started making a, you know, money from it and now loves pretty much his life there. Yeah. So there's, there's a ton of people that I interviewed that I really loved. And there's also, Oh, there's Berna. Anat. She's also Filipino. She's incredible. She's like a financial hype woman. She's also really popular on, on Instagram, but she gives financial advice to people. So yeah. So those are some of the few that I really love. Uh, what is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the lar largest results in your business? You know what it is? I think it's just waking up early every single day and following a set routine. And this is one of the big misconceptions about being location independent and making your own hours is that, you know, you have freedom, right? And all of a sudden, everything will just work out. But you'll learn the hard way that unless you create a system for yourself, whether it's flexible or very, you know, rigid, you have to make sure that it's the right way for you. And for me, I just create my schedule for the day and I follow that. I have a checklist. Yeah, I think it's, that's the thing. It's a checklist that's super simple, but it keeps me on task and it allows me to be really consistent with my daily routine and what I need to do because without that checklist, I'm kind of all over the place. Especially as an entrepreneur, you have so many things on your plate that if I didn't have that, I would be completely lost. Like I would forget everything. Like I wouldn't be in this interview if I didn't have that checklist. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, three books, podcasts, or blogs you'd recommend people check out if they were to understand you better? Three books. Let's see. I love How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mention this every single time. I think whether you want to have a successful business or just have great relationships with people, I think it's a must, a must, an absolute must for anybody to, to read. 
Um, and of course, every digital nomad's uh, kind of Bible is like Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. <laughs> um, and then let's see how never split the difference. Yeah, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that in, you know, 50 to 100 years, uh, four hour work week or Tim Ferriss is going to be considered like an actual religion. Like, yeah. It really is. And it's really interesting, too, because there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, it's BS, you know, like, there's so many things that he says there that are untrue. And then I always say, well, you're not supposed to, not everything there is for you. It's going to apply for you. It's going to apply to you, for sure. Exactly. And people are like, yeah, but you can't accomplish all of this by just working four hours a week. I'm like, you don't have to work four hours a week. It's just a freaking title. Like, yeah. (laughs) He even, already, he even he's even talked about it. It's like it just so, it sounds like a good title. And there was a it's a ma- it's market. It was a, it's he yeah, he knew how to market time. it well. Yeah. And there was a, there was an actual you know period of his life where he was working four hours a week. Yeah. It's not like it wasn't it wasn't his entire life. It was maybe a section of like a year or six months or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But honestly, you could work a four hour work week if you create a system for yourself. Yep. You know, that's the beauty sure. of it. And you don't need to be a millionaire in order to have a really great life. Like you can be you, you can work, you know, four hours a week, make a few thousand dollars a month, live in somewhere that's really cheap and be baller, you know. So it's not about that. It's about having more freedom with your life is really what he's trying to share with you. Not like, oh, you're you should only work, you know, four hours a week. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that I find I found interesting about entrepreneurship once I started was like, you know, when you haven't done it before and you're dreaming about it and you're thinking like making six figures, it's like it seems so crazy and so difficult. And yes, it is difficult, but then after a while you realize it's actually not that difficult to make six figures. Mm -hmm. What's more difficult is to sustain that and to grow it. Yeah. So like if you are comfortable making, you know, $4,000 a month, $5,000, $6,000 a month, whatever, um, you know, you can have, like you can, like you said, you can build a system around your business where you're just basically making, you know, five to 10 K a month. Yeah. And you just coast like you could literally work three, four, three to four hours a week. But then if you're trying to grow your business, if you're trying to get to seven figures, if you're trying to, you know, hire staff and, and build a, a bigger company, that's when, you know, you have, you have to put in more time and effort because there's always going to be new obstacles and new challenges and stuff like that. So I think that's, that's the misconception that people have is like, you know, you, you can't like grow and exponentially a company without putting in the time. But mm-hmm. if you wanted to just build a simple lifestyle a simple quote unquote, but a lifestyle business and, and, and you're comfortable with that, then yeah, you could definitely work a couple hours a week or four hours a week. Yeah. And you know, it's whatever you're comfortable with. If you want to just do that, I think there's nothing wrong with it. I think I, that's actually a really beautiful life to live. Obviously don't live in expensive cities like New York or London or something, go to Southeast Asia, Latin America, or even there's a lot of cheap places in in the United States too. So it's just what you're comfortable with, you know, and what you're willing to work for. So it, and again, it's up to you and what type of lifestyle you, you want to live. And the beauty about being an entrepreneur, specifically a location independent one, is that you have a lot of freedom to choose what you want to do, right? Or even as a freelancer and you're location independent, you can, you can really do a lot of things and choose how you spend that time. For sure. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. I think you named two so far. Uh, yes. So how to win friends and influence people, the four hour work week. And another one is never split the difference. So that's a really great book about negotiations. And that's one of the things in business that a lot of people don't talk about is you have to learn how to negotiate. And that's one of my favorite things as well. Right now, as a business owner, the two of my favorite things to do is or I'm really, really interested in is marketing first and negotiation second. So if you can handle both of those things, I think you'll do perfectly fine as, as a business owner. You can even use it even if you're an employee. You know, there's a lot of marketing and negotiations you have to do as well. Awesome. 
Well, this is this has been great. Was there any anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? Uh, no. I mean, if you guys want to know more about me and um, how to start working remotely as well, you can visit theoffbeatlife.com. I also have a free masterclass there where I teach you guys how to uh, land an online gig. So you can watch that. It's a webinar. And I have a ton of free resources there as well. And if you want to start your own podcast like Rico here and I, you can go to howtocreatepodcast.com. Um, and I also have a master class for that. I teach people how to launch uh, a profitable podcast right from the beginning and you can do that as well. And there's also a ton of free resources there. My team and I work really hard on both of those sites to really give people what they need, um, at any given moment. So check those out. All right, Debbie, thanks so much. Like I really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we could have, uh, We've been talking for a couple hours here and and lots of similarities in mindset and some of the you know the background how we grew up so yeah thanks for being on the show thanks so much Rico, for having me i had a really great time all right guys and we'll link up all the websites and and um, the resources that that we mentioned on the website that's sourcefindasia.com slash made in china if you want to reach out to us that's podcast at sourcefindasia.com and obviously check out the youtube channel source find asia all one word and i will see you guys next week cheers papery murder black on black murder papery murder black on black murder uh, this is to the memory of dan roy henry too much enemy fire to catch a friend Straight from the same shade, nigga, we on the same team Giving you respect, I expect the same thing uh, All black everything, nigga, you know my fresh coat My fight for you, don't increase my stress though Niggas watching the throne, very happy to be you Power to the people, when you see me, see you And I'm from the murder capital, where they murder for capital Heard about at least three killings this afternoon Looking at the news like them, I was just with them after school No shop class, but had the school, got a tool And I, I could die any day